And welcome back. I'm Jeff MacArthur. It was back on January 5th. The number of COVID hospitalizations in Canada surpassed 5,000. Now, that was concerning and troubling, but since then, that number has actually doubled. Yesterday, COVID hospitalizations surpassed 10,000 in the country. And for more on this, let's welcome in Dr. Catherine Smart, head of the Canadian Medical Association, who joins us now. Dr. Smart, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Okay, in 12 days, we double the number of hospitalizations. Just how troubling is that? It's very troubling. You know, we've got hospitals that have been overwhelmed now for months. And this next wave of COVID, as you've said, is really resulting in significant hospitalizations and ICU admissions again. And I think what's really troubling with the Omicron wave is the backdrop of what's happening with staff is really adding to the challenge. You know, not only are we seeing those admission numbers really uh, go up rapidly, but we know that some hospitals are missing up to 20% of their own staff because of the impact of Omicron on the health workforce. So we're definitely, I think, in, in a crisis situation here in many hospitals across the country. All right. If it's 10,000 today across the country, can we expect it to be, I don't know, 20,000 by the end of the month in another couple of weeks? Or are there some signs that maybe the Omicron wave has peaked or is peaking? Well, certainly in Ontario and Quebec, there is some indication that we may have reached the peak in terms of cases and we're starting to see the numbers come down. Of course, it's hard to know for sure. Other provinces are lagging somewhat behind Ontario and Quebec in terms of their case counts. Um, these, are, of course, are estimates because we don't have the same level of, of testing as we've had before. Um, you know, I, th I think we are really hoping that we see some stabilization in hospitalizations because we know our system only has so much ability to continue to absorb people into the acute care system. And there'll be a point where that's no longer possible. But we also know that hospitalizations lag behind cases. So I, I certainly don't think we're out of the woods yet in terms of the impact on the health system. All right. You speak of acute care. Let's talk about ICUs and ICU numbers because they are currently at around uh, 11,000, uh, 1,150 uh, patients with COVID in ICUs across the country. Uh, just where is that when it comes to a percentage uh, of um, available ICU uh, spots? And is, are, are we in real danger there, do you think? I think the conversation around ICU capacity has been very challenging because we hear one narrative from governments who often speak in terms of beds, but that does not mean those beds are always staffed. What we're hearing from people on the ground is often that they're at capacity in terms of the number of beds that are available that actually have healthcare professionals available to care for patients. So it really depends what metric you're looking at. We know that there's significant strain on our ICU capacity. And again, that may increase in, in days to weeks, and that's going to be challenging to deal with. And again, it's really also going to depend on what is the status of the health workforce and who's available to care for those patients. So I think it's really important that perspective of the people on the front line, the people providing care in terms of what the actual capacity is in hospitals versus sort of numbers that often describe theoretical access, but not what's actually available on the ground. 
So, Dr. Smart, what would you say to those that are saying we're being just far too cautious when it comes to this wave of uh, Omicron, that uh, despite some of these numbers you and I have been talking about, you know, so many people have tested a positive, and a lot of those cases, thankfully, have been uh, fairly uh, mild. A lot of people are comparing having Omicron to, uh, you know, not even really having the flu, maybe just even having uh, a bad cold, that sort of thing, and think we're being just too cautious when it comes to uh, making sure that our healthcare system is being preserved? I think, you know, the reality is just what we're seeing in the healthcare system. I mean, it is true that Omicron is a range of illness. And in some people, it may be asymptomatic or a mild cold. But in other people, it is causing moderate to severe illness. And we're also seeing it tip many adults with chronic healthcare conditions uh, towards being unstable and requiring hospitalization. So I think the uptick in the need for hospitalization is really the concern and protecting the healthcare system is critical, particularly in light of the impact this wave is also also having on staffing. So I, I think it's a day-by-day analysis, but we need to not be naive about the impact on the system. And at this point in the pandemic, our system's ability to keep pivoting to provide this level of care, it's, it's a huge challenge, and we're certainly not through it yet. Joined by Dr. Catherine Smart, head of the Canadian Medical Association. Also wanted to touch on with you this afternoon, Dr. Smart, uh, what the, the latest is when it comes to surgical backlogs. And unfortunately, once again, we're seeing stories of people having their surgeries uh, postponed, uh, canceled uh, right now just because of this Omicron uh, surge. What can you tell us about surgical backlogs? The surgical backlog issue is huge and ongoing. And as you've stated, you know, as we enter this wave, how do we create space in the hospital? Well, sometimes it means we have to cancel procedures to free up those resources to care for people that need to be looked after acutely. So we're again seeing elective surgeries canceled. We know from work we've been doing throughout the pandemic that hundreds of thousands of Canadians have had surgery and other important things like diagnostic imaging procedures canceled. Uh, The backlogs are in the hundreds of thousands and that's only getting worse as we navigate our way through this fifth wave. And is this something that uh, can be rectified fairly quickly once we get through this wave? It seems to me as if the numbers are uh, piling up, it's going to take some time to make our way through that backlog. I think it's going to take significant time to make our way through the backlog. There's no question. We also have to remember that the people that need to care for these patients are the same people that are now caring for people in hospital with COVID in a lot of cases. So there's a lot of exhaustion and and healthcare workforce burnout that's going to challenge our ability to really ramp up the system in a meaningful way. There's also going to need to be, I think, significant investment and support from the federal government to give the resources to the provinces to address these backlogs. So I think solving this problem is going to be multifactorial uh, and it's not going to be straightforward and it's going to take, I think, a significant time to really uh, see that improve. Okay, talk about investment and support. There's been a lot of talk the last couple of weeks about just maybe how fragile our healthcare system truly is, that we've uh, really learned that particularly through this Omicron wave. And is that one of the great lessons of the pandemic? And I'm wondering uh, what your takeaway is or you know, several takeaways when it comes to what the pandemic is telling us about the healthcare system, what we need to do better, what we need to address moving forward. 
I think that's such an important question. You know, right now, of course, we're so focused on the current emergency we're in, but it has, I think, really laid bare the ongoing issues in the system, which would be no surprise, I don't think, to anyone who's been working in the system. But I think for many Canadians, it's really become clear to them just how fragile the system has been. You know, we're constantly operating on the edge of capacity at all times, and that's for many reasons. Um, And I think what's clear from the pandemic is we really need to reimagine healthcare in this country. We need more investment to make sure that we can meet the needs of an aging population. But we also need to better understand what is required to actually make Canadians healthy, to be able to move some care into the community, to invest in primary care in a more real way to make sure Canadians have optimal health. And these are the lessons, I think, that are really clear to us during this pandemic. They're not easy to solve, but we need to really move forward, working collaboratively to find some of those solutions. Otherwise, I think we're really going to continue in this very dire situation. Yeah, just finally, what are first steps there? Because it's something we've been wondering a lot about and talking to various politicians, mm-hmm. leaders, leaders in the healthcare uh, community, including yourself. It seems, like, as you mentioned, you know, some of these problems have been around forever and they never truly get addressed or, or solved. What can we do concretely, do you think, coming out of this to make sure that we never face this again? Yeah, that's a great question. I think really what we need to see is all levels of government really commit towards investing in this issue and and working collaboratively towards solutions. You know, reviving the Canadian healthcare system is going to involve more than one player. It's not something that provinces and territories can do on their own. It's not something that the federal government can do on its own. So I think the first step is the federal, provincial and territorial governments coming to the table, really listening to experts in healthcare around what the pressing issues are and start to find areas of alignment where we can start investing and innovating to actually solve some of these problems. You know, we know what a lot of the solutions are, but it is going to take teamwork to get there. And and I think that's really what Canadians deserve and want. All right. We'll leave it there for now. Dr. Smart, always appreciate your time. Thanks once again for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's Dr. Catherine Smart, head of the Canadian Medical Association. And we're back after this break here in the Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.